This is a Discovery Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we invite you to find yourself in the bigger story. To find out more about what's going on in the life of the church, head to discoverychurch.com.au. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, welcome to the last week of The Lamb Wins. Uh, The title of the message today is, Where do you want to live? Where do you want to live? Have you ever had that conversation between yourselves when you're away on holidays? You know that conversation you have when you're on holidays? And you're sitting and you've had an amazing time, you've had the best week ever, and you're sitting across from each other, perhaps in the cafe, you're sitting with a group of friends, and that's what happens with Jody and I all the time, and we say, do you reckon you could live here? And that becomes the litmus test for was it a good time? Did we have a good time? Now, of course, in the midst of that, you're in, you're in, the, you're in the, the, the holiday fog, right? You're just in the best time. You've, you've rose-colored glasses. You don't actually have to live there. You don't have to go to the shops there. You don't have to, you know, like take your kids to school there. You don't have to work there. But in that moment, you think to yourself, maybe we could live in this place. I don't know if it's ever been like that for you, but and of course, we, we've had a lot of people who've moved around geographically. Perhaps you've moved geographically for work or for family reasons. Perhaps you've come from overseas. Um, of course, that's, it's, it's the rarity these days. Most likely, you've, you've moved to Queensland. That's what happens most of the time now. If you know anyone about um, around here, everyone's moving to Queensland. But there is that sense to where we move around based on where perhaps we want to live. Another question, is the world getting better or worse? Better. There's a few betters, a few worses, a few sames. We li- it's a conflicting, we get conflicting messages about this, don't we? Is the world getting better or worse? Because we hear all the time, things are getting faster, smaller, more efficient, more, more uh, time efficient, quicker, speedier, lighter. Um, all of those kinds of things are happening in our world, and that's great. We're, we're seeing progress on a level that is, that is absolutely unbelievable. At the same time, we are, are now more aware of the problems around us because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the way that we're connected to everywhere on the planet. Something can be happening right now on the other side of the world, and we could be hearing about it in two minutes. And the volume is turned up on all of the pains of the entire planet, on the planet Earth, because we're connected to it all. And maybe things are getting worse. Maybe, you know, at the same time as everything's getting faster, speedier, better, quicker, in all of those kinds of ways, more efficient, at the same time, we're just as unhappy. We're just as grumpy. We're just as mad. We're just as depressed. We're sadder than ever before. And maybe we're telling each other that because we're so connected to one another as well. It's an interesting question. These conflicting stories. And so... When we think about where we want to live and we think about is the world getting better or worse, the question we want to ask ourselves is what kind of world do you want to inhabit? What's the kind of world that you would see for yourself? If you were to be able to paint a picture or design the perfect city, you know, you had your own little game of Sims and you were able to design your own city, 
the perfect kind of place. See, the Bible talks a lot about cities because in Bible times, if you weren't in a city, you were in danger. In our day, we go away from cities for peace, right? We go away from cities to experience God. We go away from cities to have a rest. We, we holiday in places that are less inhabited than more most often. Tree changes, sea changes. We make all of these moves to move away from cities into more wilderness spaces, but it was not like that in the time of the Bible. If you were in a city, you were safe. If you were in a city, you had food. If you were in a city, you could trade. If you were in the country or in the wilderness or in, in, uh, in an inhabitable place, you were at a danger of thieves, a danger of um, wild animals, danger of weather. And so when the Bible talks about cities, it uses cities as a way of being able to explain something that is perfect, something that is ideal. Do you follow me? And so it comes no surprise to us when we reach the climax of Revelation, we have two cities to contend with. We have two cities to look at. And I will warn you today, the scriptures that we will cover may not be the most appropriate for small ears. Maybe for the ears between the ages of 5 and 12. I, be, I think beyond that, you can process it with them. Littler than that, it's going to go over their heads. But I'm warning you. <laughs> okay? okay? That's important for you on the podcast as well. So maybe just wait till after school drop off. And here we go. Revelation. Chapter 17, verses 3 to 6. And he carried me away into the spirit, uh, in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. We experienced towards the end of Revelation, this first city, a city of the prostitute. Now, many people in Scripture and, and many people since then have engaged in prostitution against their will, maybe as, as people who have been trafficked or people who have, um, who have uh, no other access to income. This lady was not that lady. This lady, this Babylon lady in Revelation 17, she was at the higher end of things. She would parade around with celebrities and kings, parading her gifts and offering her services in mutual satisfaction and in mutual 
destruction. She's personified here as a world without God. This is a city that we can live in. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a world where things aren't as they seem. On the outside, she's dressed in purple cloth, the clothing of royalty. She's walking around, parading around with the finest of jewels and the finest of things. And we would expect in her hand to be a scepter or a sword or something that she could rule with. But instead, she's holding a cup of filth. Things are not as they seem in that kind of city. It's a kind of city, in fact, that cannot stand. If you go on and read the rest of Revelation 17, it's a city that devours itself. Evil turns on itself. Darkness turns on itself. It's a kind of city that cannot stand, but we do need to ask that question. What's so wrong? I mean, if that's the way that This lady, I mean, it's a vision. She symbolizes something deeper and darker than what she is. But what's so wrong? If it doesn't hurt anyone, then what's so bad? Right? Huh. Why not? It's all good. She's not hurting anyone. We've got to remember our context in this scene. Throughout this series, we've seen the book of Revelation written to the church in 96 AD, written into and under the weight of persecution, the weight of the oppressive empire of Rome, the kind of weight that drinks the blood of the martyrs and the sacrificed ones to the saints. Right here, there is a satire, even in this, of what we would like, what we would call communion. As we share the body and blood of Christ, she drinks the blood of those who've been sacrificed for him. Just, we will move on, but I want you to feel it, just for a minute. So why is it so bad? They're not hurting anyone, we might say. Revelation 18, listen to this, after the destruction of this city. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. That's how long it takes for God to turn these things around. Not very long at all. Listen, verse 11. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots and slaves. That is, human souls. To live in this city, there is always a cost. And the cost is human. You see how John here places slaves right at the end of the list? As though to say that they're the least worth mentioning out of all of them? So cinnamon, more important, traded as more important. Cattle, traded as more important. Wheat, oil, more important. Oh yeah, and slaves. 
In this kind of city, most likely John here is referring to Rome, but then this has become a type of cities since and cities before, ever since Genesis chapter 11 actually, which is where people got together and said, let's, let's make a name for ourselves and let's build up a tower high to heaven. Remember that, Genesis 11? And God scatters their languages and, they get the, and that's where we get the word Babel, Babel, Babylon. And Babylon then becomes a type for a city without God from then until now. And in the midst of that, people are dying. There is a cost to living this way and the cost is always human. Babylon is a city of slaves and those who enslave others are themselves slaves to sin. You see, slavery works on both levels, doesn't it? Slavery is still a problem today in our world, but I think an even bigger problem is the slavery that we all experience to darkness and to sin, to missing the mark in our own lives. This is why we're here. I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah 61. It said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to the blind. You see, all the way through Revelation, we've had seven seals, we've had seven trumpets, and we've had seven bowls. Each time, one of those, uh, those repeating sevens, those recapitulation of the sevens comes over and over and over again. Each time, there are plagues. Where do we know the plagues from? From the Exodus. We know the plagues from the Exodus. It's as though God is saying a time is coming where I'm releasing the slaves again. Those in captive will be, captivity will be in, no, in captivity no more. There is a promise of freedom that is coming. A promise of freedom. See, the captives here are not just trafficked people, but... Under the, those under the power of possession, under the power of the flesh and the power of selfishness. And so in this way, we spoke about this in week one, Revelation's a war story about the kingdom of God invading the kingdom, the kingdom of, of, the kingdom of God invading the kingdom of darkness. But if it's a war story, it's also a love story. Because as we read on, we see that soon after this, a wedding takes place. Revelation 19, verse 6 to 9. And I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, which is another reference to Sinai, after they'd been set free. Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has what? Made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. My friends, now we meet the great city of the bride. 
She's made herself ready. This is the great reversal that happens. We have the city of the prostitute over here, and now we have the city of the bride, and they stand right next to each other, allowing you to look at them both and experience them both and see what is going on in both. You see, just like the last vision where we had two perspectives, we also have two perspectives here. We had the perspective of the, of the woman herself and then the city that she represented. We have here the, represent the, the, uh, the picture of the bride herself and then in a minute, the city that she represents. But first we see this bride who has made herself ready. Look, I'm making some assumptions today. I'm making some assumptions and I'm not going to argue with you for the return of Jesus. We're not going to argue. I'm not going to say this is why it has, that has to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm making that big assumption. So if we can assume that Jesus will return, as we've spoken about in previous weeks, how God is the author of all of history. He's bringing things to a climax. He's a faithful king over all of history. And we're taking that evil will be defeated and Satan will be overthrown. We also need to see here that in the context of that, the bride has made herself ready, which means that we have a part to play in the redemptive story. We have a part to play. You and I are part of it. We are part of the bride of Christ. You are to be married to Jesus, which is where we get married from. This is why I love and honor and adore the symbol of marriage so much because it paints us a picture of a, of a great cosmic drama that we're all a part of. And the bride makes herself ready for the arrival of the king of the great prince of the universe before the wedding. So the second image here, Revelation 21. Then I saw the new heavens and the new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. Remember, sea stands for chaos. That's why there's no more See, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no, uh, there shall be. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And, and it moves, moves ahead, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun nor moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp is the Lamb. By its light... The nations walk. Listen to this and think about what they were bringing into Babylon. By its night, the nations walk and the cities of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There'll be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. I love this image. 
I love this image. Instead of the nations bringing in, you know, because that image before, who's going to buy our ivory, our cinnamon, our spices, our oil? All of those words were, if they, they, were, they were products of the then known world. The image we have is the nations assembling and coming to Babylon to feed on that greed, to feed on that disaster. And yet here we have this image of the nations coming to bring their glory in honor of the lamb. And he's bringing the city to us. The bride makes herself ready and he's bringing the city to us. Coming down from heaven. Did you read that there? I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. So two things going on. We're making ourselves ready and he's coming down. So... For those who love tables, I've got a table for you. Want <laughs> to see it? Let's show the table. The comparison between Babylon and the bride. In Babylon, they saw people as objects, but with the city of the bride, people are valued and redeemed. In Babylon, people, it's, it's sex is for self, it's for me. And with the bride as intimacy. In Babylon, goods are for self-glory. Look at all the stuff I've got. With the bride, it's to honor God. In Babylon, I I deserve a good name. I want a good name. I want a good reputation. But the bride is only concerned with a good God. In Babylon, we want self-honor. And with the bride, the city of the bride, it's about serving others. With Babylon, the nations ply their trade and the bride, the nations offer their gifts. In Babylon, we're trying to go up, 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 up. But the city of the bride God comes down to us. Which world do you want to live in? Because in the midst of of this story, we have a part to play. And in the midst of this story, the end is the beginning. Revelation 22, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy in this book. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. He's bringing justice. And Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, those seven churches in Asia. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. As we think about how we might apply this to our lives, the first one is this, is that the return of Jesus is a cooperative project. We can hasten his coming by preparing ourselves, by making ourselves ready. We can hasten his coming. Remember we spoke last week, this is much less about when and much more about who and why. You and I can put on our white clothes rather than our purple clothes. We can put on our our righteousness 
rather than our selfishness. Jesus' return is a given, but our contribution is up to us. The end will come, which will be the beginning, a bright, brand new day, and we can hasten his coming. I'd like us to think less about the last times and more about the last man. The last times or the end times isn't even a, it's not a phrase that's found in Revelation. It's found in other parts of the New Testament. But the Revelation is very, very interested in the last man. Very, very interested. Because it says when he comes, whoa, that's when everything changes. Even at the end, God is a God who comes to us. He's coming to us. He comes to us even now. In fact, so much so that that's the last prayer he gave for us to pray. Thirdly, things will be okay in the end, but they also, be, they also might be okay tomorrow, which is cool, because if the resurrection is true and Jesus is still doing miracles now, it means we can place our hope and trust in a God that will redeem all creation on the last day. We can trust that and we can believe that and you can, you can take that to the bank. And, and he's starting now. He's starting right now with you and me, things transforming, changing people's hearts, turning towards him, people's lives being brought back on track, people being healed of a whole range of different things, people forgiving one another and joining back together in relationship. All of these things are happening right now. We don't have to wait for them. It's happening now. So things will be okay in the end and I want you to just, I want you to remember that. But also remember that they might be okay tomorrow too. Can you believe for that? If you were a person, 96 AD, part of a persecuted community sitting under the weight of Rome, of course you're believing in the final day. They thought Jesus' arrival was imminent. And they're believing for transformation, change, and miracles now. Let's hold both. Let's hold both. Fourthly, when in doubt, zoom out. A long perspective can offset the anxiety of the immediate. You know when you get so in your head and everything's so close and you're looking at everything like here and it's just like screaming at you? And sometimes just when in doubt, just zoom out, guys. Zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. That's why I love scripture. That's why I love reading big, like big chunks of scripture rather than focusing on a verse because I think verses are important, but context is hugely important when we can zoom out and we can see everything that God is doing. It helps us. It helps us kind of find our own bearings where we are in the middle of it all. Is that making sense? Zoom out. And then once you've zoomed out, then enjoy the details. Dive in and have fun. Finally, fifthly and finally, live like the bride. Live like a bride. You're being prepared. I'm being prepared. Ladies who've been brides, you know this more than us and you know this more than men. You have the double privilege of being a bride twice. And you have an experience that, that I don't have. 
of what it feels like and what it, to be prepared in this kind of way. But together we are all being prepared. We are also preparing ourselves. And this is the prayer that we've been given to pray. The spirit and the bride say what? Come. Let the one who hears say come. And the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the final prayer we've got. In every situation, in every circumstance, come, Lord Jesus. When I don't know what I'm doing, and I do know what I'm doing, come, Lord Jesus. At the beginning of my day and at the end of my day, come, Lord Jesus. We're being prepared. A few final questions and then we'll stand and pray. If God could solve one thing in my life right now, what would it be? It's a scary one to ask. Well, I don't want to think about that because I don't think it will come true. I don't think it will happen. You know? It's not a wish. It's offering a prayer to God. Is there anything that I'm currently doing or thinking that is contributing to the oppression of others? That's Babylon stuff. Where in my life are the hints of Babylon? How might I? There's a prayer. There's a, one of the commands of God is come out of her to my church. Come out of her. Don't be associated with that. Not segregation and isolation, but righteousness. How might I contribute to the parousia? There's the, well, there's the word for the, for the Greek nerds, which means appearing or arrival of the Lord through my words and actions. We can contribute to that. Remember the last man. And what is God asking of me today? Let's stand together and pray. we'll pray. And team, you can come. I had planned for something more climactic for the last week of this series, but I prayed about it and said, God, it'd be awesome if, like, Jesus, if you appeared, like, <laughs> you know, just to really, like, make a point. <laughs> but for now, we anticipate, Father... We thank you for these words. We thank you for the story that we are a part of. We thank you, Jesus, for your imminent appearing. We thank you that you are bringing, you are changing hearts, you are making things right, you are making things beautiful. You are transforming us. And so today, wherever we are, in whatever situation we are in, we say, come. In a most final way, in a definite way, when you appear, when you return, we say, come. But in our lives right now, for work tomorrow, for family lunch today, we say, come.
May we live like a bride being prepared for a marriage, for a wedding feast. And so Jesus, we pray. We say with the Spirit, the bride says come into our lives right now, tomorrow, forevermore. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on this Discovery Church podcast. Now go and find yourself in the bigger story.